Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. It's episode 55. My guest today is Caitlin Cannon. I usually talk for a minute before I introduce the artist, but I guess I'm not doing that today. They'll, you'll probably like it that way better anyway. Um, my guest today is Caitlin Cannon. Um, she just put out a new album called the Trash Cannon Album, actually back in May, uh, but a 2020 album nonetheless. The Trash Cannon Album, and it was produced by Megan Burt, who was on this show just a few episodes back and has a really uh, amazing story. So go back and check out her episode as well. Um, but anyway, this Trash Cannon album, um, you know, I would say bridges on country, but has a lot of other influences too. You know, she grew up dris- listening to drive-by truckers um, and Gershwin and Cole Porter and 90s country radio, old rock and roll, um, all kinds of different influences. And it really shows here. Um, Caitlin and I first met because I was backing her up on keys at the Sheridan Opera House in Telluride a few Halloweens ago. And we met there. The show was a lot of fun. And then we may have seen each other at the Durango Songwriters Expo as well. Um, And the Durango Songwriters Expo is just a great community for songwriters. It's not just in Durango. In fact, it's not in Durango at all anymore. It's a music conference that happens in Broomfield, Colorado, and also happens in Ventura, California, and they do a couple other events as well. And essentially, it's capped at 200 people. You come with your music, and you get to pitch your music or get critiques from industry professionals three times. You get to showcase. You get to do open mics. And it's a really, really excellent community, and everybody I've met there I've become long-lasting friends with. And Caitlin Cannon is a Durango person as well as I am. So shout out to the Durango Songwriters Expo. Um, But her new album is wonderful. And the conversation we had was really great too. It was deeply personal. We talked about some of the tracks on the album. Um, A couple of them deal with her sobriety and she's gone through a couple spells of relapse and getting sober again. She's been sober for a few years now. Uh, And then there was another song that really hit me too called Mama's a Hairdresser and that's a story about her, her and her mother are both um, are, are both hairdressers, both do things with hair. <laughs> Barbers, I guess. I don't know what the correct term is. They both work with hair. And her mother, uh, every six weeks, gets a plane ticket and goes and flies to visit Caitlin's brother. Caitlin's brother has been serving a life sentence without parole since age 17 um, in Alabama, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and we talk about the prison system in in this episode and find out some really interesting things, get a really interesting perspective from somebody who is closer to it than a lot of people are. And uh, yeah, it was just a really great conversation. I was really grateful to have Caitlin on for the first time. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And also, we're going to listen to Mama's a Hairdresser at the end of the episode. So stay tuned till the end, and you can hear the song that we've been talking about. Big news for Middle Class Rockstar Podcast, which you've definitely heard about if you're a regular listener of the show. Uh, We just teamed up with Chris Kay's Colorado Playlist uh, about uh, six weeks ago or so. And essentially, we're clipping out a an eight minute segment of these episodes and chris k is airing them on his show which gets aired on 27 fm frequencies around colorado big thanks to chris k for allowing us to collaborate in this way and chris k has been on the show twice now and he has a lot of great things to say around the industry especially from the radio side of things If you enjoy the podcast and you want to help out in a completely free way, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially on Apple Music. It only takes a few seconds to give it a five-star rating and a quick review, and it really, really helps me out a lot. If you're in a position to help out in a monetary way, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, spelled S-Y-D-O-W. And that's uh, for both my artist career and my podcasting stuff it's all under one roof and that just helps ensure that i can keep growing this thing 
And you can support on Patreon for less than the price of one cup of coffee per month. I stole that from Joe Pug because I love it and it's true. $3 a month. And you can you can help out the podcast in a big, big way. We're going to jump into my conversation with Caitlin Cannon. But first, I want to say a very quick thanks to our sponsors. First, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. If you go to narratorrf.com, you can look for simple and affordable licensing for sync for any purpose. What's up? What's up? Are you, where are you right now? I know you moved back and forth a little bit. Yeah, I'm in Durango, Colorado. Where? Well, actually, did I meet you in Durango, Colorado, or was it Telluride? I think we met in Telluride. Did we rehearse before the show? I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think we did. Oh, <laughs> well, no wonder. That's why our sound check was so long. It was the <laughs> longest. I will remember that show at the Sheridan Opera House on one <laughs> Halloween year, four or five years ago, I don't know, as being the longest sound check of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the sound check was longer than the show. It was, yeah, we played the set like three times for the sound check, I think. Yeah, I think that was our rehearsal. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think of myself as being greener then, although I was like, I was, when I was really green in New York. I, it was like so much easier to work with me because I like didn't know anything, I think. Yeah. And, when, and I was working with a lot of people who knew what they were doing. And then when I moved to Colorado and I was like, I was like, well, I just started pulling, you know, I mean, the people who like Brian actually ended up, the guy who did our sound that night ended up like uh, making a sound and lighting company here. That's just like totally successfully sets up stages all the time. Of course, like now he has a GoFundMe because no one can make money doing that. Right. But, um, at the time I was like, just pulling, you know, anybody I could find who would sing or play with me. And that was a little different because, you know, it didn't sound as good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to find, you got to find the right people for the song or the set or whatever. And yeah. I really, as I'm thinking about it now, I really remember, you know, when I have situations where I have to learn a lot of songs quickly, Yeah, I try to look for patterns in the writer and, oh. and you guys, I was noticing when there was turnarounds, you would always go four chord, not always, but a lot four chord minor four one, like the Beatles turnaround thing. I was like, okay, I got this. Anytime there's a turnaround, we got a minor four coming. And I remember in the set one time, there wasn't a minor four. And I felt rather foolish about it. Because <laughs> I went. Yeah, like I've been told that because I, here's a secret. I minored in music theory in college, um, but I was going to be an actress. So I just like, I mean, I was drunk the whole time. Right. And, um I don't, I can't remember anything. Like I actually even signed up over quarantine for like a very expensive guitar course. Cause I was like, I'm going to learn this for real. And I like still can't, like, just can't really figure my way out around the fretboard. I think it might have something to do with like adult onset dyslexia. Like I just can't tell where the letters, I don't know where the letters go. And yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's I like, think, yeah. I think a guitar is sort of a, it, it is, just sort of weird in that way too you know because it's not all right in front of you yeah but I've been told that before I've been told that I I often put in a minor like I go to the minor four or something or the minor or I go to the two or I go I go to something that's just outside of the uh, of the family a lot and it kind of right. throws people and then and then once they get the hang of that I don't do it <laughs> I'm like right. I just don't know which is the best kind of chord progressions chord progressions by songwriters um who who aren't thinking about let me pull a chord from outside the family here and those are I it's so funny because I find those some of the most unpredictable and intriguing chord progressions yeah. Whereas, you know, I feel like a lot of times I'm trying to do it right with the theory background. And, and I was like, man, I should just let go of that and just play. And it might sound more natural sometimes. 
Well, you know, it's funny is now I write with, I have a new project. Oh, I have a new project coming up. Um, it's called Side Pony. It's yeah. Alice, Alice Wallace and I are doing it, which is really fun. I wanted, her name's Alice Wallace and it's so fun to say that, that I just call her Alice Wallace all the time. And I would like it if she would call me sure. Caitlin Cannon all the time because I have the same like alliteration going on, but yeah. it's not as much fun to say Caitlin Cannon as it is to say Alice Wallace. And um, yeah. <laughs> so we just call the band Side Pony, and um, and she we write <laughs> we write together, and she has that. She's like, I we can't like it's hard for her because I'm like I really want to go to E minor there, and she's like, I'm like, but listen, it sounds cool, and she's like, ah, but it's like. It's going to like, you know, it, it, it's hard for her traditionalist country. Yeah. You know, like it's like it's like just not even in her schema. Like I can just see her brain just like kind of like melting down. And um, it's been good for me, too, because I've kind of learned like, oh, you know, this is like why anybody in Nashville can kind of like get up there and play and know exactly what they're doing and where they're going. Right. So, yeah. I'm trying to like learn the map, but then like go off the path, you know. Well, and you've got some other influences too, right? I mean, the, with the theater background and, you know, you're listening to Cole Porter and Gershwin and things like that. You've got some other, your ear is going other places from other influences too. Yeah, I just did. Okay. So I did a cover of What Are You Doing? New Year's, New Year's Eve on the, for my live stream tonight. Yeah. And I went, what are you, what's the bridge? Um do you ever do you ever edit out when people say like and um and think think too long about things? Not, <laughs> I, try not to. I try not to because <laughs> because it makes it hard to edit the video because I'm editing the video in logic to eliminate a step. But I listen for it in my own voice all the time and try to correct it every week. You know? I, I, I've really, I started doing this thing called the co-row show, which I'll tell you about in a minute, but I go through and edit out all my likes and ums and it makes you so, I mean, you really can hold someone's attention, but wow. what I was saying about, because I go off on a tangent and I'm sorry, but, um, that's okay. So in that bridge, you know, where it goes, you know, every invitation you receive, like, like I've always wanted to do that. Like they yeah. used to do in all the, the, all the Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire movies. So I'm like trying to like put that into my songs now, which is, you know, I actually tried to get Alice to do it and she was like, I'm not going to do that. But it's so fun. Like just yeah. try, like receive, you know. It's just do something, go out there. <laughs> just do do something you know and, and that's another thing about like these times corona times is like i found myself doing all kinds of strange things just that seem normal to me now but it's like there's no other outlet for like i don't know you know i i put on okay so i got i got covid in nashville when i went yeah. down there to record the single that we're doing for the it, side pony show. did it hurt what did you, did you have the symptoms? Um, yes, it was pretty hard on me. I also have like, I suffer from allergies and I think I may have been immune stressed yeah. um, to this. So it was harder on me than it was on like anybody else who got it, got it in a session in Nashville, like finally figured out that it was Doug Lancio's son um, who brought it home from co college. But, um, you know, it's just ironic because like, you tried to do everything right. I think I, I was becoming a little more lenient, but just because I, I really believed I had already had it. Yeah. Um, but once I got hit with it, I mean, I got, I got smashed pretty hard. Um, so I started doing this thing called the co-row show because you, you know, you're out of commission for like the first week, then you start feeling better and you have to like continue to, you know, to quarantine you had a commission yeah yeah so i've done i've done five episodes so far but i've committed to and this is not a commitment to anyone but me because i only have like i don't know 50 to 100 organic views i paid for some more views mm. right <laughs> like, right i don't know yeah so anyway, <laughs> we've all done like, that <laughs> but <laughs> like i put on my I, I show you how to go full mermaid so I put on my mermaid tail, you know, there's not any water in Colorado. I don't even know 
why I have a mermaid tail in Colorado. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's part of the show. Yeah, like you would never, you might never do that were it not for COVID. So you have to find the silver linings and put on your mermaid tail. So I like show you how to, it's like a how-to for like things you might never have thought you would ever want to do and maybe still don't. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's not even, so you're just doing whatever. Yeah. I'm basically doing everything I know how to do. It doesn't have to be music related. Well, I put my music in it, right? which is because I was like, I'm going to get everything that I do in one place. So the first episode is how to put on scales, nails, (laughs) make finger. Oh, yeah. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And then the second one is hair extensions because, you know, I have a salon in Durango. So, right. yeah, so I, I did some of that because people are like making a killing on that. And then I know, I know you probably have other questions, so I'll just get through the rest of the Coro Show episodes really quick. Three is how to be a mermaid. Yeah. Four yeah. is how to do a chemical plating process of copper onto brass, uh, which is involves a lot of chemistry, which is shocking. Like people don't know how smart I am. Yeah. yeah. You would never know. And you have a song. You have a song about it too, called "Dumb Blonde" on the new record. Yes, and I put that in this episode, and it was perfect. Oh, that is perfect. And then the next one was how I make this jewelry, and then the fifth one is going to be oh, I have a, I have a sync licensing project called Pop Knot because we're not pop. It's like a little inside joke, but Pop Knot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you if you have you pursued a lot of that trying to get your songs. I want to. I want to do more of that. I. Yeah. Yeah, I've never had a song placed in a film. I had a song purchased earlier this year. It was a, like I did a cover of Oh Christmas Tree piano trio kind of thing. And it was purchased by a catalog who's going to turn around and resell it a bunch more times, right? But I mean, it's really intriguing to me. I would love to do more of that. And and it's not pop for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I started, I got into it. You know, yeah. I got into yeah. it through going to the Durango Songwriters Expos, right. which has, you know, kind of become a family. And right. um, I like, and which was where I met Andy, which was where, oh, wait, no, I think I met him at the Denver Forum. But anyway, he's gone to that. So, um, <clears throat> so Andy, who produced the Candles album, who brought you to play at the Sheridan Opera House with me, which is right. How I first Andy met Andy Rock, formerly and again of the Flowbots. Yeah, he's again of the Flowbots. I saw that. That's so exciting. Yeah, love that. And That's and I met him through the Durango family. I met him at Durango. Oh, you met him at Durango. I met him at Durango. Yes. Oh, cool. Yep. Okay, so I was going to Durango and I was pitching like my weird insurgent country music for like for like six years. I did that before they were like Caitlin this is never going to be <laughs> our stuff. You know, like if I got, if I got well known enough, then it might come across like Quentin Tarantino's radar and then it would fit in some. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Right, right. You know? So like, I was like, okay, I'll just go over to the dark side. So I started like writing pop songs, which I found is like really fun. You know, it's really fun yeah. to write the worst song you can and then like jam out to it. Yeah. That's punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's punk rock. I was like, What's the, it's like prunk, it's like prunk, well, uh, pop, what's the, what's the smash of pop and punk? Punk. 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 Yeah, it's punk. I think they already did that. (laughs) No, it's punk. Oh, punk. Or pomp, pomp. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so we got pop nuts, so I actually like did an episode on how to write a pop song because we had, you know, to get some stuff to the company for pitch. And, um, you know, uh, it's funny cause like doing an episode on how to write a pop song or the net, the following episode is how to write a song about a Viking, which yeah. is one of my favorites, but how to write a pop song is really different than like trying to write a song about a Viking, even though there, there's more grunting going yeah. on in the pop song, right? Like the, uh, 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 like that's all you got to do to write a pop song. Yeah. Well, and you went to, so you decided like, I'm going to purposefully write these pop songs. Yeah. To make money. Yeah. (laughs) That, that is the, that is the definition of the dark side. Yeah. But but you love it. 
Oh yeah, no, I have no, I have absolutely no qualms whatsoever about selling out and trying to sell out as hard as I can because music is free now and that's fucked up. Can I say that? Probably not. I just saw that this is on Chris K's episode. He's going to have to bleep that out. Do you put a little marker every time I drop an F-bomb? Well, actually, uh, it works to my advantage because Chris has to bleep it out. I, oh. That's his job. Hey, I'll just say thanks, Chris K. He gave my record a lot of love this year, and yeah. it's been really cool. Yeah, so like my passion is trash can and stuff. And uh, it was interesting because I was hanging out with Megan Burt a lot, and she was like, God, you're really all over the place. Like, what do you want to do? It was yeah. almost like an intervention. Like her and Katie Laurel were like, your solo stuff was better like why don't you do it and I was like because I don't believe in myself obviously <laughs> you know? yeah yeah sure. and they were like you know so Megan Burt really like fostered that and then my record like killed her you know yeah wait it killed her <laughs> no she's alive okay. oh I was gonna say she was just on the show a few weeks ago I know I know did she talk about uh, did she talk about everything she's been going through or was she yeah. Okay. Yep. She thought about talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, it was like the day my, we wrapped on my record. Like the day I got the masters. Like she got, she got sick and did not get better. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, every day I try to think of her and not my own guilt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't you know, no one record isn't gonna take down Megan Burt, but like you know, she's got her own career to focus on. And it's really hard because like, I, you know, the next record that comes out of her is going to be so amazing. Oh yeah. But it's just hard when you've got, uh, you know, she had COVID right after me that on top of Lyme is like, whoa, I mean, she's getting her ass kicked. So, but you yeah. know, it doesn't mean, it just means her music will be better. So I yeah. hope that, uh, yeah, maybe music won't be free anymore, and then she can actually like support make, her. Life. Make the make some money. And <laughs> what what did that mean for you having Megan produce the record? Well, <clears throat> uh, it's weird when you become like friends with your people you're a fan of. Like when I felt like I was really green when I met Megan, it was the year she did the. It was the year she did she won the songwriters competition in Lions. Yeah, I just she was just really different and really and but she was just a very cool person. And at that point, I I think we shared like a mutual cynicism, <laughs> but it was like still involves unicorns and rainbows and mermaids and things. Right. Mermaid. Great. Yeah, it's great when you can sort of like find those people, you know, people who will like put on a unicorn unicorn horn with you, but like also like be cynical that's the best yeah absolutely and yeah so um you're on the same wavelength with each yeah. other i was shocked when she was when she she I mean she offered to produce it i was shocked because it made me you know i had to step into some ownership of like well if megan is gonna do this i know that it must be worth worthy yeah. And then um, it ended up being like really worthy. You know, my record did really well. Um, I'll just say it's the Trash Cannon album. And it was just named one of Saving Country Music's most essential records of 2020. And um, it it just went farther than I ever could have expected it to go with like my grassroots efforts. You know, I just... I'd love to have some muscle behind me for the next one. But for this one, it was just like Megan. And then once, once her job was done, I was solo ninja Jedi. What did you, what did you solo, solo ninja Jedi do? Did you hire a publicist? Did you email everybody, uh, you know, on the, on the big list? What did you do? So first when, when we were in post, I applied for that grant from Colorado creative industries. Yeah a career advancement grant and I got it. And it was because I was like, look, I'm doing like kind of a reformist feminist country album. You know, there isn't like a whole lot of that, you know, going on. Uh, there's not a lot of music in that genre and in Americana, at least at the time I'm hearing a lot more now, like a lot more in 2020, but like from like 
the female perspective. Right. You know, like, and my record really like, it's, it's the female perspective, like what it's like to be a daughter, sister, you know, a drunk woman, a sober woman, a spiritual woman, a reckless woman. It's like all the different sides of, you know, you or me. I don't know about yeah. you. I mean, I'm sure you've got some of that in you. Of course. <laughs> you've got a little drunk woman in there, don't you? Yeah, it's it's not a little. It's all over. <laughs> After five o'clock, you see drunk woman all over the house. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm not talking about Allie. It's me. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I saw your picture on, on the Insta. Or is that a new love? We're engaged. We got that oh. photo. Yeah, we just okay. got engaged uh, two days ago, three days ago, something Congratulations. like that. Congratulations. Thank you. Ooh, I just love that. I just love love. Me too. I mean, it, you know, after after being a hopeless romantic for years, you know, yeah. finally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you get a ring and do the whole thing and get down on one knee and do all that? I did, but we, so we were, we went up to Grand Lake, which is where we like to, we go up there like once a year or whatever and just spend a night or two because nobody's in Grand Lake in the winter. It's a summer town. And I was going to propose, but the place I was going to like have one of the Airbnb people come up and bring drinks to our room, but the restaurant below us was closed. So the Airbnb host let me use another Airbnb room just for a couple hours to set it up for the engagement. Oh. And it was really cute, except for the fact that Allie was feeling sick all day. And I, she started to feel better. And so I, I set up the whole room. I said, I was going out to take some pictures, set up the room, right? And then I get back and she's like, I can't do it. I can't go out anywhere tonight. I'm staying in. And I said, no, you got to put on jeans. We're just going to, you know, we're going to go for a walk or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I finally, I finally got her upstairs and, and did the whole thing. Oh man, that's the worst. I know. I know. I felt bad, but it, you know, I was like, it's man, like, like, oh, even, even if she got news that her poor grandma, that her poor mother got hit by a semi truck or something, we've got burning <laughs> candles upstairs, Rocky Mountain highs playing on repeat. Like, put on some pants. Let's get this going. The road. That's oh, funny. It's, I mean, it's just really funny. Like. I feel like let more and more in our sort of like, you know, generation, like it's cooler not to have any like expectations of people, you know, like it's better. I remember coming from New York to Colorado and like being in a band situation and being like, oh, wow, like people aren't on time here and they're super high. So it's like really go with the flow. Yeah. yeah. And it was totally different from like what it was in New York, which everybody's all stressed out and about efficiency and, you know, not, won't look each other in the eye. Right. Right. <laughs> like, but it's just kind of funny. Cause like when you, even in your relationships, they're a little more like that, you know, especially as I get older and you have relationships with people, you know, it's like you've all, you're a little set in your ways, both of you, the older you get. Sure. So like, I can just think about like if the person I was dating, if I was like, put on pants, now we're going, <laughs> you know, like it would be, it would be, I don't know if I'd be able to get them to do it. I'd probably end up like throwing the ring at them and, you know, <laughs> marry me, you asshole. Anyway. I'm glad, no, I'm glad no rings were, were thrown. At yeah, least not by her. Oh yeah. 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 Well, congratulations. Bad. That's what I meant to say. That's a roundabout. <laughs> Uh, but so anyway, what were we talking about before that i have, i have no idea these are my these are my favorite conversations we're just all we're just jumping around but it, oh we're 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 starting to we're talking about the album and megan and i think you mentioned before this conversation started that this being december 31st at time of interview this is your last day to claim that you have a new album out yes so you gotta you know you gotta pump it today this is it this is it. It's old news tomorrow morning. It's it's no longer. It's tomorrow's twenty twenty one. My record will be so last year. You know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I have a new record for one day only today, and um, uh, it's oh, the really cool thing about this record that we made was that like 
Megan started the whole conversation by like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want a record that sounds like this, 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 and this, like, you know, my five favorite bands or whatever, which is like a mix of, you know, Uncle Tupelo from the 90s and then Shovels and Rope, which was more modern. But then I want some like Jeff Tweedy in there and, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yes. A little (laughs) bit of all of it. Yeah. And so she was like, okay, well, I don't really know any of that, those bands because, you know, Megan, I mean, she's got all that like blues influence, but her, her, she's basically, I think more well-versed in every genre, but country, but she was working on her Americana project, Ginger Bomb. So like, I think it was the combination of like me having clear ideas about what I wanted. And then Megan, like having the ability to like, just having the musicianship to, pull that out of and the instincts to like pull that out of players that like we were able to make something that sounds like really cool and distinctive and i think that's why it did so well was that it just doesn't really sound like anything else which also kind of like kind of hurt me a little bit uh with like the country traditionalists you know we were like oh you're pulling from too many genres but right but the next record i want like to go even further in that direction because I'm in, I'm influenced by all that stuff. You know, I'm influenced by golden Hollywood era. You know, that was like how I survived my childhood. And then, yeah, it's part of you and classic country. Right. Then like, you've got all of the offshoots of music and it's just weird that we still have to like pick, pick one. Well, and I feel like you see the, the people that really make a fuss are the people like you who are just, well, fuck it. This is what I do. Um, these are all the, these are all the things and you put it out and then that sort of becomes a genre of some sorts, you know, and if you're lucky, right? Yeah. If you're lucky, right. Sturgill Simpson, um, yeah. great. Is, is a great example. If you put, if he put out one of his albums now, one of his more recent albums now, and nobody knew who it was, we probably wouldn't be listening to it. I mean, he got, he sort of made his own thing and now people are doing that. I know it's cool. Cause like, I remember when I went to see him, I went to see him in Denver. I can't remember what venue it was, but, and I was like, Oh, he's got a horn section. It was yeah. right after he put out that record. Um, the second record after his like blow up record, the, the journey to the middle of the earth. <laughs> I can't, you know, here's another thing. Yeah. No, Sailor's Guide. Sailor's, Sailor's uh, Guide. That Sailor's Guide to the Universe. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, well, this is bad. We should well, know this. It is, but like, I, I've also, you have to give yourself a break because right. the way that we're so saturated with music anymore, like Jason Isbell's my favorite songwriter. Oh, He's yes. my favorite songwriter. And Agreed. like, I don't know. It's like, there's so much music to consume that you have to like, I, I mean, I can tell you every single track on like Anodyne, like Uncle Tupelo record from like 1980. Right. I think it was 88. I don't even fucking know. But anyway, <laughs> like the fact that I even have the right decade. Yeah. You know, like now it's so it's it's just different. You just there's so much music you consume. You maybe li- you maybe don't even get through the whole song. Yeah. You know? I mean, we're we have just like a totally different kind of brain because our brains are getting all like digitized so it's hard to like know the names of things also maybe it's because we're all on adderall and losing our memory that could be it too that could be that could be part of it (laughs) but you're right we should do better we should we should do better it's just there's a lot there's a lot there's too much it's and i fit it's it's hard it's easy it's nice now that you know, you can be an indie artist to put stuff out, but it's also harder than ever in some ways, right? Because yeah, there's so much. There's so much. I was looking at um, the, I have this distribu- distributor and they send me the the list of all the countries that played trash cannon songs. And there's a lot. I'm like, dang, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. like, what am I'm like, wow, I'm making like $50 off of people doing Spotify spins, like 0.3 cents. I'm like, that's a lot to get up. a lot of plays. That's a lot. Yeah. And like, but that's so sad, (laughs) you know, but like at the same time, it's like, well, is it because of the the way the streaming platform is that I have that kind of reach or anyway, like I, I do try to like 
I try to adapt because my my two closest friends get mad at me for saying this because they say there's no scientific basis. But I believe that there are 500-year-old men living in caves in like the Himalayas. And the reason I think that they can do that is because they're That might be the Adderall. I know it's not, it doesn't really help my ADHD that much. Like people are like, Caitlin, can you just like finish a thought, take a breath and let someone else get a word (laughs) and maybe like try to stick to one subject at a time. But anyway, I always circle back. So like they, the reason they are able to live in their bodies for 500 years is because they're willing to adapt. And that's the lesson, you know, like, so I'm, I'm trying to adapt, but I do think like, it would be great if we could figure out how to how to make a living from music any anymore because right. I don't know anybody who really can. I mean, you got to like cross over into the one percent, right? Which is why I love the title of your podcast, middle class rock star. But I think it should be lower middle class. Rock yeah, star. No, no, no. It it. Uh, <laughs> I think that's kind of part of the joke of it too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was like, what do you talk about on that podcast? You probably talk about your music, but you probably talk about your day job too, you know, like the other things you make. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you're always dipping. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm myself, I'm dipping into a million different things, teaching, producing, sending piano tracks to somebody, songwriting, you know, all of it. But that's okay. That's okay. We're adapting. We're having a good time. And we're going to continue to adapt for another uh, 400 and some odd years. Yes. And then, you know, doesn't that just take the pressure off? Takes the pressure off. 400 years available. Right. Some odd more. Right. Right. There would have been no rush for Thomas Edison to invent the, to, you know, invent the light bulb or anything like that. Is that who invented the light bulb? I think so. I um, think, <laughs> shoot. We should know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, more better. time, more time would be nice. Get more Netflix shows in. What? Yeah. So looking at a couple of these songs, on the record, um, one that caught me was Mama's a Hairdresser. Thanks. Talk about that one a little bit. Uh, my brother is serving a life without parole sentence in Alabama. He's been in since he was 17, and now he's 37. Um, and we're very close. And um, my mom, uh, who taught me to cut hair, has gone to see him every six weeks. So she flies down and does enough haircuts to see him because he's in Alabama and she's in Colorado. And most of the guys in his situation, like over time, their family members, I mean, it's rare. It's rare that you continue to have like a lot of people to advocate for you. And he's certainly earned that. Like he's on a spiritual path and he's, I think of him more as like being like a monk in a cave. Yeah. And I do being in like the third most violent prison in the United States, which it is, which is very scary. Um, But uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, prison reform and like my, my personal kind of advocacy for it, which is mostly in my music. Like I've, I've tried to do a lot of other things over the years, but like now I'm really like starting to, to like sing about it more and, and go there in my writing. And, um, it, it's that our society treats inmates as if they are, um, subhuman. And, um, I really, you know, I got to do Megan the prison tour because, Megan needed some backup and she wasn't able to complete the tour. So I finished out the tour for her and I sang mom as a hairdresser to like rooms of hundreds of men serving life sentences um, in like 10 different uh, SCIs or correctional institutions. And it was so interesting how like the staff, the guards uh, treat you differently after they know that. Like I, I would never, I wouldn't tell them about like my brother, but once I got up to perform, I would like establish that connection with the men before I would like sing these songs. Yeah. And I also think it was, I'm not sure how many of those guys are going to concerts, hearing music that's like from the perspective of the life that they're living. Because right. I wrote that song about how the experience of going to visit him just doesn't change. And I only had 
you know, two verses and a bridge to really explain it. So I really tried to, to get, to get just what that one piece of it is like. Yeah. And, um, I really wanted to get in there how they're like good men who were locked up when they were kids. So in a lot of ways they still are kids, you know, and, and the, the circumstances are just very, very hard, hard and harsh. And like, it's equally as hard on their family members who don't abandon them. And so I tried to like show, not tell that, but, um, yeah, Megan took, uh, when my brother calls, you know, it says you have an collect call from an inmate at, you know, and you get yeah. the whole recording and <clears throat> I put the microphone up to the court, the, the phone and got a little logic recording of that and sent it to her and she embedded it in the track cool. and it's just like sounds. I mean, yeah. it's like a sonic masterpiece, you know, it's like yeah. so great. And it's so visceral. Like anybody who has anybody in the system would like definitely feel that. So yeah, I'm hoping that like when I'm dead, it'll get some really good circulation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so in 600 yeah, years from now, it's such a, yeah, right. It's such a powerful song. And also I think maybe there's, the issues of the prison systems have been brought out a little bit with the, some of the stuff that's on TV. I know there's that Netflix show about um, every episodes with a death row inmate. Um, And and I don't, I don't know what that's doing positively or negatively for the system, but I just know, I think that people are a little bit more aware of what's going on. Um, I mean, that is where it starts. Like it's in the conversations that you have because, but lawmakers are, especially in the South are just so steeped in, I mean, God, 30 years it took us to get them to reduce his sentence from life with parole, life without parole to life with. And he's still awaiting a parole hearing. And it's, it takes, I mean, the, it was Miller versus Alabama and, and they ruled juvenile life without parole unconstitutional. And then this, and then this, that was the Supreme court and then state of Alabama said, okay, but it's not retroactive. And then Supreme uh-huh. court was like, no, it is retroactive. And then Alabama was like, okay, 40 years. And then Supreme court was like, try again. And then Alabama was like 30 years. And they were like, okay, well that took five years. For them to do all that back and forth. I mean, the litigating, it's just, it's, uh, it's really very, very painstaking. <clears throat> so. At yeah. the root of it, what being so close to the subject at the root of it, what do you know about what's wrong with the system that most of us listening might not know? Oh man, this is going to be like a little bit, uh, this is a bit of a controversial statement I'm going to make, but like uh, there's corruption on the enforcement side. So that is like very hypocritical. And there is like, there are people profiting off of the lives of enslaved men and women And, you know, I will go ahead and say, like, I think it's, I think the percentile it's in the, I know it's in the nineties, it might be in the high nineties, but most of the people who are enslaved are, are African-American, you know, white privilege didn't help us in this case, you know, but like, it's not like, it's not the truth, you know? So I think it's that like, it is systemic, it is, you know, prison for profit and it is like unfortunately a classist issue yeah. you know it's just uh, uh i mean that's that and that is kind of like the overall like kind of existential opinion on like what's wrong with a system except for the fact that like the system itself is just <sighs> flawed you know like we're there's no real humanity in it and that's upsetting because all human beings make mistakes Yeah. Not one human being is going to be perfect, you know? So I think that like, instead of just locking people up, prisons should actually be about reform. Now, some people aren't, are, are not capable of reform. Some people aren't, but some people are. And the people who are 
you know, I think should have that opportunity so that they can trip can contribute to society. Yeah. You know? So yeah, we got issues. Uh, well, well, thank you for chatting about that and giving your insight and thanks for the song that came out of it too. Hey, thank you. Thank you for giving me this platform to talk about it. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's such an, uh, you know, I, it is, it is a big problem and I, I don't know what, what happens to fix it, but I do, I do see, you know, that it's being talked about more and that, you know, like I said, there's TV shows, there's documentaries. And I think that's maybe a positive step, maybe a slow positive step, but a, a positive step, hopefully nonetheless. You know, we got to start talking to each other more. Like, um, that's where it's in your personal daily conversations. And there's so many subjects that are just so taboo that people want to avoid. And that's kind of like what my record is. Like, I like to make jokes about things so that even if you're on the other side of me, you can still have a laugh. Yeah. Because we're the thing that connects us all is that like, we're all human, you know, like everybody, every single human knows what it's like to feel oppressed in some way. You know, right. even that, if that hasn't been the through line of your life, like you should still be able to like have empathy and relate to any human beings. And, you know, we just don't see each other as the same. And like, we are the same, you know, right. I mean, when that's, uh, you know, your album is very relatable, I think, because it's it's deeply human and deeply personal um, and not really shying away from anything. And the way you present it uh, is is just great. And there's there's two others deliver and drink enough that chat about well I, I i assume have something to do with the sobriety right yeah i wrote drink enough in a blackout and um then <laughs> i like it was in my voice memos the next morning and i was like that's super good <laughs> i was like i'm gonna finish that and then um deliver was the first song i wrote when i got sober which was you know i mean drink enough was you know, we put that fun, like 60s pop sensibility in it, which was always sort of my vision for it. But um, that song comes from the lyrics are really if you listen to them, it's like really painful. You know, you have this realization of like what you have become. Right. And it's like totally mediocre and like even just below mediocre. I mean, that's the worst. Right. <laughs> I mean, not literally because the worst is not mediocre like by definition but you know what i'm saying yeah so, <laughs> um and then deliver was uh it's so funny because that's been probably the favorite song on the album um yeah. and that song just kind of like got me sober like as long as i was like playing it in my room um, well, in my apartment at the time, I wasn't drinking because I just had my guitar in my hand. Like I just used that song to like have something to do. Yeah. And I didn't even really pick up a pen and paper. I just sort of like wrote it while I sang it, you know, until yeah. I had like a whole song. And I just like go home and play it every night for like a month. Wow. Yeah. And I have no social life. I just. <laughs> None of us do, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you, well, even then. <laughs> I, I, did you, was there a rock bottom? Was there a moment where you're like, all right, I got to do something about this? Yeah. Um, so I have been sober twice before. And the first time I was young, I was young when I got sober and I was in Manhattan and like, you know, all the famous people are in AA. So it was like fun for me to go there and hear the stories. It's like better than television. We didn't have all the streaming services then. And right. you know, it was like, I and I was like looking for a spiritual solution. I just didn't really know it at the time. So I really dove into AA in, in New York. And then when I left New York, I, um, I, a lot of my drinking is like involves relationships and you'll, you'll hear the, you'll hear that in the record. Like I obviously like have a lot of, uh, songs to sing about failed relationships and yeah. like it's interesting how like I've discovered even through my songwriting that like my addiction plays out that way because in that the first relapse I, I, I started drinking again to get out I wanted to escape I didn't want to do it like I wanted to leave 
Um, and so I drank pretty alcoholically again that time, but then and I got sober for a couple of years and I don't know exactly what happened, but I was dating someone that I didn't feel like we could connect. And so at that point I used alcohol to try and connect yeah. and I tried, I really tried to drink normally. And yeah. that was the hardest of all the things I've ever done in my life. The hardest thing I've ever done, like trying to control your drinking when you're an alcoholic, having two and stopping that, I mean, and it, it just took longer. It just took longer for me to get to the point where I was completely destitute and drinking every day and just not really knowing why I wanted to be on the planet. That's where I always end up, you know? Right. So like, I don't know exactly what happened, but I remember I went into this AA meeting um, and I went in there and I don't usually like talk too much about that, my experience in AA because I, I don't, um, yeah, well, anyway, I'm not, you know, I think there's a lot of different paths that people can take. Um, but the way that I've gotten sober has been, you know, to go to an AA meeting, you know, when I needed to get sober. I mean, I don't know where else you go. You got to go somewhere where people are doing what you can't conceive of doing because there's like this veil. And when you're on the other side of it, it's like, for me, it's just impossible to get over there. Like it, it never would have occurred to me to go to an AA meeting before it, like it would have been to like end my life. Like that would have been the, that would have been the next logical thought. So, right. you know, and then people in the AA rooms are like, oh, wow, the courage it must have taken you to come in here. And you're like, there's no courage. Like I just turn right instead of left at the stoplight. Like this is divine intervention of some kind, because I honestly like did not choose to come here. Right. <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> so, so I think that there's some of that, like there's some maybe higher self and guidance and, and you, for me, like, yeah, I, I, um, just know now that like, I can't drink. And it took me all that time to figure that out. You know, and people say, well, relapse doesn't have to be a part of your story. But like, unfortunately, like for me, I really didn't, you know, I really had to go find out and I'm just lucky that I survived that. Yeah. Yeah. And got some good songs out of it too. Yeah. And I got some really long winded answers. <laughs> I love it. No, it's, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. One thing, one thing I was reading on your website, um, a quote that you put up was my grandmother got me a guitar when I was 13. Before that, I had thought it was just a boy's sport. Yeah. Um, and you, you've mentioned a lot of your influences throughout the last 45 minutes or so. Um, one thing I've noticed as a teacher is a lot of my young boys want to learn male fronted songs. And a lot of my young girls want to learn female fronted songs because I, I think probably just because it's relatable for them. Right. Yeah. Um, was there, was there an artist for you when you got that guitar and said, Oh wait, girls can do this too. Was there an artist for you that was really special that you latched onto? Yeah, you know, at that time, not really, because this guy was, I took a few lessons from a guy named Jeff Glover, who was friends with my dad. And my dad, like, was a good mandolin player. Yeah. But he was not, he was not a present father. And he was this, like, charismatic figure in my life who would, like, you know, jump out of airplanes. And, you know, he, he, like, wouldn't come get me sometimes, but when he would, he'd get there early. And with his time that he was sitting in the car waiting for me to get out of school, he'd, like, whittle a duck out of a block of cedar, you know. Cool. And, uh, or he'd be, like, in the median, like, shooting his bow and arrow, you know. <laughs> like, he was just this, you know, this guy. And um, I think at that point, you know, I was estranged from him. And I was, my wanting to, like, learn guitar was kind of like, why didn't you teach me this? You know, and I think that's another reason why I thought it was a boy sport. Like, granted, boys are like, you know, get you. I was trying to sing in the band like well into college and they were like, no, just go set up the merch table. And that's not necessarily like they're I'm not saying this is a boy like a boys club problem. Like, mm. I mean, it's just I needed to somehow find the, the permission to give like I didn't need their permission to do it. I didn't need their permission to like you know, get a PA and figure out how to plug stuff in and like suck at that for a while, you know, or whatever. 
Um, I mean, I still kind of suck at that. I'm like trying to figure out how to like <laughs> put my, put my DAW into OBS or whatever. But, um, but when I got older, it started to be like Patty Griffin, Patty Griffin, yeah, was the first one where I was like, I'm going to play living with ghosts. Yeah. And Cinda Williams and Shelby Lynn. And, you know, I wanted to learn, but I wanted to learn Ryan Adams songs too. And I wanted to learn the drive by trucker songs and all that stuff. Yeah. And then I like playing like Shirley Temple tunes on my, you know, I like all the old, I like taking those old standards and like kind of making them modern. Sure. So, but at the time I was like learning, it was more, uh, like the first song I learned on my guitar was helplessly hoping by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Really? Yeah. You still play it? No, but I, I could. <laughs> I don't think it'd be that hard. It's still that was how hard. I learned my... I mean, I still like pretty much do that same finger-picking pattern on everything, but I was trying to connect with my dad. An abrupt ending, I know. We lost connection. I think Caitlin's computer uh, ran out of battery or something, and we called and tried to finish it up, and then we thought, you know what? We ended in a good spot. Let's just end it right there. So an abrupt ending, my apologies, but... That's the end of our conversation. If you liked it, please uh, rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. It really, really helps a ton. It only takes a second. And if you can uh, help out in a monetary way, I super appreciate that as well. Go to patreon.com slash Andy Sido, spelled S-Y-D-O-W. Uh, you can contribute to the Patreon for as little as $3 per month. And that helps out in a huge way to ensure that I can keep on growing this thing. Thanks to Caitlin for coming on the show. We're going to play things out with her song, Mama's a Hairdresser. Uh, it's a really powerful song and I think really relevant after what we what we talked about. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for everybody to hear it. And then after that, go to Spotify, go to iTunes, go to her website, whatever. Support her, listen to her music, drop her a line. There will be some links in the show notes. Great stuff, okay? Uh, any questions? Questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can direct them to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. I'll chat with you next week. Thanks so much for listening.
Nothing but a shadow.